I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is David Crow, our banking editor. And down the line from Malaysia, we have Stefania Palmer, our Southeast Asia correspondent. Also from New York, we have Laura Noonan, our US banking editor. This week, we'll be discussing the latest ructions at Goldman Sachs as its Malaysian scandal deepens. A look at Standard Chartered as it embarks on a buyback of shares. And finally, an interview with Bob Diamond, the former head of Barclays, who is now investing on his own account through a business called Atlas Merchant Capital. First, though, to Goldman Sachs and Stefania joins us from Kuala Lumpur. You broke a really interesting story on Tuesday morning that the premier in waiting, Anwar Ibrahim, has gone pretty aggressively after Goldman in this long-running saga about the 1MDB bonds and the egregious payments that were allegedly paid to Goldman Sachs for issuing them. Tell us what's happened exactly. So uh, essentially, uh, Anwar Ibrahim, who should uh, step in after current Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamed in about a couple of years, essentially told me that uh, Goldman should absolutely return significantly more than the $600 million that the bank was paid for arranging three bond sales uh, for 1MDB, the Malaysian State Investment Fund, uh, that is obviously now at the heart of uh, one of the biggest uh, financial scandals uh, in uh, history. And the main reasons that uh, Anwar gave me were that, first of all, the fees, uh, which come up to about 10 to 11 percent, he found absolutely exorbitant and indefensible. And he also argued that this entire uh, 1MDB affair, of which uh, Goldman is a part of, is essentially a cost to the image of Malaysia. It's a cost to investments coming into the country, but also a burden shouldered by the current government, which ousted Najib Razak, the founder of 1MDB back in May. We have to remember that the current coalition is uh, also tackling quite uh, an uneasy uh, fiscal position. They've had to revise the 2018 fiscal deficit from 2.8% to 3.7% in the latest budget. Um, and they also face up to $10.5 billion in debt repayments actually linked to 1MDB. Where is this going from here, do you think? I mean, clearly, it's getting noisier all the time. There's various other actions pending. It feels as if on the ground in Malaysia, the anger is, is certainly mounting towards Goldman rather than uh, dissipating, as they might hope. Absolutely. And I think they are hoping to target uh, Goldman at the moment because it's obviously a case that is in full public view. Um, it also comes on the back of uh, the latest uh, uh, accusations coming from the Department of Justice that uh, essentially have said that almost half of the uh, $6.5 billion worth of 1MDB bonds that were arranged by uh, Goldman were uh, misappropriated. The DOJ has also accused 
two former bankers of engaging in bribes toward Malaysian officials in order for the bank to secure business from 1MDB. So there's definitely a sense here in Kuala Lumpur that top government officials are really just taking advantage and sort of riding the wave of this very strong momentum against Goldman, or that at least is putting a very strong spotlight on how the bank has been involved in all of this affair. Well, let's get a perspective now from the other side of the world. Laura, you just heard from Stefania that the Malaysian authorities are certainly ramping up their pressure on Goldman. Is the same thing happening in New York as well? Yeah, I think certainly the bank is coming under pressure. I mean, they continue their negotiations with the DOJ to see what sanctions, if any, the firm is going to face as a result of this whole scandal. I think it seems reasonably likely they will face at least some sanctions. They will have to strengthen the control, do some internal work. They will probably be looking at some kind of a fine. The quantum of the fine is very much unknown at this point. I mean, some analysts have suggested that the financial penalty to Goldman could be basically that Goldman has to make up the entire of the 2.7 billion or so that is unaccounted for, or that was basically taken out of the one MDB fundraising, and may also have to repay the 600 million in fees which Goldman Sachs got. That will get you to a figure of around. 3.2, 3.3 billion, which is obviously a very big number. That's totally speculative at this point. We don't know what kind of a fine or what kind of sanction the firm will face, if any. They might, there could also be other legal implications for the firm, but we don't really have a feel for that. What we can say is that in the last few weeks, Goldman's share price has really come under pressure because of this. And investors are not worried about the fact that Goldman is going to be doing less business in certain parts of Southeast Asia. Investors are worried about the financial penalty of this. And that basically taking one, two, three billion from Goldman Sachs' coffers and giving it to some combination of the DOJ by way of fines and then going get, have, having to give it back to the Malaysian government by way of compensation. Well, it's clearly going to be a story that runs for some time on both sides of the world. Please keep us abreast of it. Thanks. Let's move on to our second topic. David, you broke an interesting story a few days ago about Standard Chartered looking at a significant share buyback. Standard Chartered, of course, the emerging markets focused bank, which historically has been very focused on growth, now looking at buying back. How much was it you you were estimating? Well, we don't know the number. And and there's a reason for that, which is that that Standard Chartered is itself in uh, negotiations with the DOJ about the size of the fine it must pay to settle uh, historic uh, abusions, uh, abusive sanctions. Um, so they are very nervous about putting a number on it for fear that uh, the DOJ will just say, oh, you have that kind of money sitting around, do you? Well, we'll take that. Thank you very much. Um, analysts think that it could be about uh, a billion pounds. The bank has significantly more capital than that, even after accounting for the size of the fine that they will have to pay the DOJ. But this is a big a strategic departure for Standard Chartered. And so a buyback of a billion pounds would, would be pretty significant. Yeah, and I think some shareholders certainly will be applauding it. Uh, they love the idea of having that kind of windfall. But others who may be invested in Stancha as a growth machine, which it obviously has been for decades, tapped into emerging markets around the world, might think, hang on, what does this signal? Does it really mean that Standard Chartered has no opportunities that it can find to grow in these fast growth markets? 
Well, that's right. And, and when I started uh, hearing about this, I, I went back through all the you know history of Standard Charter to try and find the last time the bank had done a buyback. Now, they bought back some preference shares in 2002, not what we consider a sort of traditional buyback. And after that, it's actually impossible to find. And the story, we say at least 20 years, but that is simply because the institutional knowledge runs out at Standard Chartered after 20 years. And nobody really knows when they've ever done one. And that is sort of a sign of the fact that this bank has always been a growth story. Their capital has been better used to sort of put against writing new business than handing it back to shareholders. And some people think this could be them putting the white flag up. Now, when you talk to people who have been working on this plan, they say, well, we're not giving everything back. This is a disciplined approach. We'll give back some and and we'll keep some to put towards writing new business. Uh, Well, we'll see if they strike that balance and are rewarded in the stock market accordingly. Thanks, David. Lastly, let's go now to an interview with Bob Diamond. Bob, of course, is the former Barclays boss who now runs Atlas Merchant Capital, an investment fund, which last week completed the purchase of a 20% stake in equities house Kepler Chevreux. Well, I caught up with Bob Diamond recently at an FT conference, and I started by asking him what uh, the rationale was really behind these kinds of investments and where he saw value in the financial services sector. The only sector of the economy, globally, US, Europe, any way you look at it, where valuations are not higher than they were in 2008, in most sectors, they're multiples higher, is financial services. We see the opportunities to invest in capital-intensive businesses below the level of the SIFIs and GSIFIs and broker-dealers, uh, insurance companies, uh, and banks to be tremendous. So we're quite active in the UK, Europe, and the US in that regard. I went on to ask Bob Diamond if this was all about regulatory arbitrage and taking business from the big, systemically important banks that had now, just for them, become punitively expensive in capital terms. If you say regulatory arbitrage in a pejorative way, I would, I would say no. Never in but a pejorative you mean, way. I know, because I know you so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you say, you know, it, it's better housed, yeah. in other words, if it's legacy, yeah. so there's no new business being written, is it wise to be holding that risk in a regulated insurance company, or is it better to have it outside of that since it doesn't need to be regulated as you're not doing new business? So the point is, yes, absolutely. And we see this really in Europe. We've invested in banking platforms in Greece and Italy, which to some people can go, really? But if you can find platforms without legacy non-performing loans, without legacy technology, and without legacy talent, if you think of that, where you can really have the best and the brightest of talent, you can bring in new technology uh, for straight-through processing with clients and customers, and if you can go, if you can be lending to SMEs and to corporates without trying to manage a portfolio of SMEs, it's a tremendously profitable opportunity in Europe. But when we look at Europe, we're looking at most of the big banks that are so saddled with legacy technology and therefore costs. Uh, and also non-performing loans. The, the systemic banks in Greece, as an example, have 63% non-performing loans. Now, come on, we're 10 years on from the crisis. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank David here in the studio, uh, Stefania in Kuala Lumpur, Laura in New York, and also thanks to Bob Diamond for talking to us. If you're not already a subscriber to the FT, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer. And remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Martin Staber. Until next week, goodbye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.